0: Thank you for your welcome, it's really good to be with you, and uh, our eldest granddaughter went to New Day, and uh, she returned yesterday, so we practiced some social distancing, because uh, I think she managed one shower during the week, which might be one more than usual, so I'm not quite sure, but uh, anyway, it was good to see her and hear from her some of the great things that have been happening. It's really good to be with you. Uh, Alongside Guy Miller, I give some sort of help and support to the leadership here and uh, care for you. And actually, Steve's been really good during these last few years, the pandemic. We've kept in regular contact. Isn't that true? With FaceTime or things like that. And uh, he just was checking out that I was still alive on one or two occasions. And uh, here I am, living proof. Uh, that's the case. But uh, I do have obviously information, updates about how things are going, and well done for pressing through. It's a challenging time for many churches re-emerging from the pandemic, and many other churches that I care for, they're all at different stages, but all have kind of in some way said it's been a slight struggle just to kind of re-emerge and to find ourselves again. But I think it shows that Community is really important, and what we've lacked in these last few years has been that sense of community, and I would say make the most of community and Christian fellowship. So I'm speaking today about the glorious character of God and Him being just and true. There's lots of privileges of living in this country, and I could go through quite a few, We win some sporting events, we lose some, we're quite gracious in that. But actually, one good thing is our kind of legal system, our justice system. And now you're going to be able to see some judgments on television. So you're going to see judges being able to pronounce their sentence or the result of the court deliberations. But even our good justice system is not perfect. I have a really good friend, a close friend of mine, whose name is Noel Fellows. I've known him for nearly 40 years. And uh, in his 20s, he was uh, arrested for the murder of, of someone and he was totally innocent. And uh, the chief superintendent, Mounsey, who was a well-known de- detective in the north of England, he'd put the, the Moore's murderers on trial and got a conviction with them. He was quite famous, and he took charge of the case, and in some ways, bounced into the case, and Noel, who was an ex-policeman, he was was innocent. He said, no, but they managed to put a case together against him, and he went to trial, and he was put in prison for seven years for a murder he didn't commit, and being an ex-policeman, he was beaten up Uh, by the the convicts and not really had high regard from the warders because he'd been a policeman and left the police force and so on. And then whenever he went to parole, they were saying, the problem with you, Noel, is this, you don't admit your guilt. And he said, but I'm innocent. They said, well, everyone says that. And he came out of prison, and then about 10 years later after he was put in prison, he was vindicated by Lord Lane. And uh, I've known Noel for a long time, and it's, it's amazing to see God's grace upon his life. He's got a great testimony. His book, Killing Time, was one of the bestsellers amongst Christians in the 1980s and 90s, a great evangelistic book. If you can get your hands on a copy, it's a great read, but also good to pass on. I've passed on quite a few copies to other people, and uh, the first one out at the end can have this one. Uh, As well, if you run quickly, uh, you can have that. Uh, It's not in print at the moment, but you might be able to get your hands on some of them. We're going to read about the justice of God as it's proclaimed in heaven. We're going to read of a vision of heaven when all the overcoming saints are given a harp by God. Now, I, I look at things, and I've got a good sense of humor, I think, and I kind of think, what would I do if God gave me a harp? Where do you stick it under your chin, or you know, do you play it like a guitar? Not many harpists around, or harp players around. You don't see it, but the focus is not on whether they play the harps well or not, but it's the the focus is on the song that they sing. And out of this passage, sometimes we get the misconception that heaven can be just about harps and singing and so on. And you've probably heard worship leaders say to you, you know, worship God because you're going to be worshiping like this in heaven for eternity. And if it hasn't been a good session, you think, oh, no. (laughs) Mostly the worship leaders are trying to do their best and we need a good spirit, but here... They're kind of singing their praise to God. So I'm going to read from Revelation 15 and verse 1, just for a few verses. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast... And his image, and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God, and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. God's judgment on earth is coming to an end, and this is just before the final judgment. And these victorious saints are singing this song of Moses And you can read about Moses' songs in Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy chapter 32. And they're songs of deliverance and triumph after the Passover, coming out of Egypt and escaping through the Red Sea. And actually, Exodus 15 is more like a football fan song. If you read it, it's kind of delighting in the demise of Pharaoh's army. It praises God, but it keeps on saying, and they're all dead in the sea. And then he goes on and praises God, yeah, and they're all dead in the sea. Uh, uh, And he praises God, yeah, and they're all dead in the sea. There's a kind of a delight and a release not really exulting in their death, but in the greatness of God and how He has delivered them. And it's all possible because of the Lamb, the Lamb that we've been singing about this morning, the Passover Lamb prefigured Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And His blood was shed, and it covers our sins, and it does break the chains of oppression. And we Christians have been rescued, we've been delivered, and we become overcomers, hallelujah, because of the Lamb of God. And Moses' song in Deuteronomy 32 includes this phrase, "Oh, praise the greatness of our God, He is the rock. His ways are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. And that exaltation of God is echoed in the heavenly worship we've just read about. Just and true are your ways, O Lord. And when we praise God, we praise Him for His love, His mercy, but also that He's a God who is just and faithful. He's faithful and just and true in all of His works And when we look at the Old Testament, we see that these words justice and righteousness have the same root. So God is just. Justice and righteousness in Hebrew has the same root. So, in the New Testament, Greek, actually you have the same justice and righteousness. You don't read about justice so much in the New Testament, but it's there because the word righteousness is often used because you can choose either justice or righteousness to reflect the same meaning. And God is just, and in Scripture, God being just is inseparable from His righteousness. From his truthfulness. He's a God of full integrity. And he executes perfect justice. He is judge of all the earth. Abraham said, when Abraham was pleading for Sodom, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And our view of a loving heavenly father must also not ignore his judgments and his justice. God is a God of love, but because He loves holiness and truth, He's also just, and we must trust Him as a just God. In the Old Testament, we see even Adam and Eve receiving the judgment of God, being thrown out of the garden. The people at the time of Noah, there's a judgment against them. And then, as I've just mentioned, Sodom and Gomorrah. and Then the worshipers of the golden calf. God wants to bring judgment, and Moses intercedes for them. Even in the New Testament, we see with Ananias and Sapphira, they go to a meeting, and they end up being carried out dead. It's horrific. It's sharp. It's, it's challenging. It steps on our toes. But our loving Heavenly Father is a God who is just. He's not fooled. He's not mocked. He has authority to judge because He's our Creator. He also has the power to execute that judgment. And He is just and true in His judgments. He knows all the facts. And beyond the facts, He knows the motives of your own heart. God's righteousness means that God always does what is right. And God Himself is the final standard of what is right. That seems like a closed shop to me. Well, it is. Get over it. God decides what is right and wrong. He lives righteously. He exists righteously Himself. And He will judge you by His standard of what is right and wrong. But in all of that, He judges us perfectly and impartially. It says in Galatians that God is not fooled. He's not mocked. What you will sow, you will reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. And we have the psalmist in the Old Testament complaining, Lord, why do the evil prosper? Why does it seem as if justice is not immediate? All right, so I would be satisfied, but then the psalmist says, then I went into the temple, I went into the worship place, and I I in some way viewed their end, and God puts it all right at the end, even though it seems as if God has abandoned justice, He hasn't, because He is just, and He is true. And even you have confusion from the psalmists or other people or even ourselves. Why doesn't God judge the evil immediately? We also have accusations from people who are sometimes rebellious or unbelieving people that God is unjust in His judgments and actions. And Paul, if you read the letter to the Romans, he answers some of these. In summary, Paul kind of says, listen, you are guilty, you are imperfect, you are unbelieving, and you are still questioning God? Right the way through the book of Romans, Paul makes it clear, all are without excuse before God. God's evidence is, God's existence is evident in creation. Somebody said, every day you wake up, nature is preaching a sermon. There is evidence of God's existence. Paul goes on to say, and you, you're accusing God, but you don't even live up to what your own conscience says is right or wrong. Even though that conscience is not perfect, it gives you some guide and some moral kind of plumb line somewhere for what you think is right and wrong. And we don't even live up to our own standards. And he also goes on to say, and God's law makes us all, Jew and Gentile, accountable and guilty before him. So one day, the Bible says, all objections from both great and small, intelligent and not so intelligent, rich and poor, all objections will be silenced. Your objections will be stopped and silence before a holy God. So while there's opportunity, Paul says, don't rail against God, put your trust in Him. Don't cry out for His justice, call out for mercy from this God who loves you. And Paul, continuing in the book of Romans, says God's ways are higher than ours. So be careful in trying to make God accountable to you. He says, who are you to talk back to God? He is working out his higher purposes with both judgment and mercy and patience. And aren't we all glad because of God's patience? He's patient with me. He's patient with you. So be careful when you're crying out for God's justice that you're not crying out against yourself. Just be grateful for God working His mysterious ways out with judgment and mercy, but with great patience. But know this, that God has reached out to you. He's not just a God that brings judgment. He's a God of mercy, and He's reached out to you through Jesus Christ. So, God is just. I want to say this. God is not fair. According to our sense of fairness, God is just, but He's not fair. I want you to ask Jonah. Jonah, do you think God is fair? Well, not really. He sent me to Nineveh, and I don't really like those people. And he wanted me to preach a warning to him, so I ran away and ended up in a great fish. But eventually, God gave me a second chance, opportunity, and I went and I preached that God's judgment was coming to that wicked city. And they repented, and God had mercy on them. And what happens? Jonah is upset. He's really upset with God because of God's mercy. You're not fair, God. Bring down judgment. It does say, doesn't it, in the New Testament, leave room for God's wrath. And sometimes we can say, oh, that's a nice word, but you step back and you wait to see God's wrath. Hopefully God is patient with other people as he is with you. If you don't know, ask Jonah. Ask the elder brother. The, The joke is, who was really sad when the prodigal returned home? The answer is the fatted calf. But... No, the elder brother, the elder brother was really knocked. He was really upset. He's angry in the parable of the prodigal son. His wasteful brother has returned, and he's restored, and he refuses to join in the celebrations. He has a complaint against his father, and the father is saying, but I'm rejoicing because the one who was lost is found. God is just. But he doesn't always seem to be fair to us. Ask the workers in the vineyard, the parable that Jesus told. They're angry. They work all day for an agreed wage in scorching heat for a landowner who then later on takes more workers in the cooler part of the day. And at the end of the day, he pays them all the same wages. I tell you, the unions would have something to say. About that. God is not fair and equitable as we think he should be. And the landowner asks this piercing question and he asks it to us as well Do you begrudge my grace and my generosity to others? It's a good question to ask ourselves because we sometimes want a God who is just and sorts everyone out according to our sense of fairness. As well as asking those people, ask me, Malcolm, who do you have a problem with in the Bible? In my worst moments, I have a problem with the thief on the cross. In the last moments of his life, right, he puts his faith in the king. Lord Jesus, remember me when I, you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you know... At my worst moments, I kind of think, wow, he didn't have to go to any church meetings. (laughs) He didn't have to mix with weird Christians, be part of church that has its ups and downs, give God his first fruits, didn't have to get baptized, whether it was sprinkled or dunked or anything like that. None of those complicating things. Not really any need to persevere for long because he was dying. And sometimes we don't like it. You see, God's work of mercy, grace, forgiveness, and blessing is okay when it applies to us. We just struggle when it's applied to others that we don't think deserve it. We've got to guard our own hearts. And I tell you this, it gets harder as you get older. All right. All right? Not because you become more kind of judgmental, but you tut louder. <laughs> right? You tut louder and louder and louder. Right? We used to have a lady come to the coin church, and she was going deaf, and she used to tut. Right? Uh, not on my preaching, of course, but other things. And it got louder and louder. I used to tell her, what a great gift she had at tutting, but could she just kind of back off a little bit in it? But sometimes, oh, it's not like it was in our youth. The standards are so different, but God has mercy for today, hallelujah, as much as he had it 40 or 50 years ago. And he has it for those around us. His work of mercy and grace may offend us. Get over it. Get over it. It's glorious. Human fairness has to do with equal distribution. Without discrimination. But I tell you this. If God was fair, then either everyone goes to heaven, no matter what kind of life they live, or no one goes to heaven because none of us deserve it. His generous and lavish grace doesn't square with our sense of fairness. While our God is just, His grace can appear strikingly unfair. Is He consistent? Is He unstable? No. He can be merciful because He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to atone for your sin and my sin. That's the glory of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ, of the grace of God. Jesus has taken the punishment on himself that I deserve to take, and God can be merciful to me because his justice is satisfied through the death of the Lamb of God, his own son, who died. He hasn't thrown justice to one side, He's fulfilled justice and made a way for you and I to be right with Him. Whether that was 20, 30 years ago when we committed our lives to Him or even today, we need His mercy. And we come through the same channel, the channel of Jesus Christ. We thank God for Him. He's merciful and generous. Please don't just appeal simply to His justice. Appeal for God's Mercy and there is mercy for all who come to him through through faith in Jesus. Call out for mercy today. Do you need it? Don't call out for justice, call out for mercy and call out in the name of Jesus Christ. My next thing to say is this God loves justice, He loves justice. It says in Isaiah 61, verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. You see, I'm sure God loves obedience, faithfulness, and kindness. But He also loves justice. Now, based on our Western idea of justice and rightness, God could then appear obsessed with rules and laws courtrooms, and punishment for wrongdoers. But actually, the Hebrew understanding of justice is far greater and far richer than our Western view of justice. What matters for God regarding justice? Well, God's justice produces godly lives and peaceful societies. In a society where God's justice rules and reigns, there should be healthy, and respectful relationships within families, within communities, and within nations, between those in authority and those that they are serving and those they are leading. And also, God calls upon us all to take personal responsibility for bringing about His justice. Another sign of God being at work The justice that the Old Testament talks about and the New Testament is bringing a sense of personal peace and shalom or well-being that is maintained and restored in your life and in the lives of those around you. And special care as God brings His justice is given to these four groups, the poor, the orphans, the widows, and the stranger. And we can go wider than that, but they're the groups that are nominated in the Bible. In fact, the Old Testament is unique. Even though other nations looked after the poor to some degree, the Old Testament is unique in mentioning the stranger as being someone you should care for. The alien, the immigrant. It's a challenge to us because sometimes we can be biased and prejudiced against people. But God says, no, welcome, don't forget, don't forget the poor, the orphaned, the widows, but also those who are different, who have come into your community. Care for them as well. Those who have limited resources, limited power. Our modern view of justice is that it's enforced by institutions. But as I told you earlier on about my friend Noel Fellows, Sometimes and often that can be imperfect. It doesn't know everything that goes on. So we leave it to the few to enforce justice. But actually, that is not a biblical picture. It's not that we all become vigilantes and sort people out in our neighborhood. But actually, we take personal responsibility. In the Hebrew world, before there were police forces, justice was everyone's responsibility— Bringing peace, restoring peace, was everyone's responsibility. It wasn't just to the police. You didn't phone 999 and let them sort it out. You had a responsibility to play your part graciously and carefully, but you took corporate responsibility as an individual. You cared for others. And community responsibility is taught in the Old Testament when God is preparing his people to go into their land of promise, he says this, listen in Deuteronomy, listen, you all play your part in keeping peace, in restoring peace, in helping the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. God's love for justice, seen through our Western eyes, can sometimes make him appear judgmental. Just catching out wrongdoers. Bit of a miserable person who wants to find fault. But in reality, God's justice shows him as being compassionate, not fault finding, wanting to restore people, heal people, care for the weak, the least, and the lost, the lonely. That's what he wants to do. He wants to repair relationships. That's God's justice. You don't need to go to court to sort out your relationship with someone else. Hallelujah. In fact, in Corinthians, it says we shouldn't be doing that as Christians. We should be sorting out ourselves. We don't need just to leave it to the institutions to sort out defending the vulnerable. We should play our part. God loves this sort of justice. It's much bigger than rights and wrongs and courts and police. It's you serving people around you. When you do that, you do justice. This justice is an attribute of God. It's not just something He does, but it's who He is, just and true. So as I you finish. I want to challenge you. Let's imitate Him. It says this in Micah, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. When we act justly, we are doing justice. We are reflecting the character of God. This God who is just and true. We're also continuing the mission of Jesus. Remember the manifesto of Jesus in Luke 4 when he's in the synagogue. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm going to share good news with the poor. I'm going to give freedom to those who are prisoners. I'm going to give sight to the blind. And the oppressed are going to be set free. That's his manifesto. The heart of God is to make a difference. Not leaving it to the courts or the institutions or the charities but for each of us playing our part in bringing healing and restoration to those around us. It's not just an Old Testament theme. It's a New Testament theme as well. It's not just about punishing the wrongdoer. It restores people. It gives people a sense of dignity and hope and puts them in a place where they can live at peace with themselves, and hopefully with God. So we don't engage. You and I, please, don't engage in justice because we're nice or acceptable people. That's not our motive. We do it to reflect this God who is just and true. A God who cares in His justice for the weak. Not just fault-finding, but for the weak and the poor and the needy. We don't just do it because it's in vogue for us as privileged people to help the needy. We do it because we want to reflect the justice of God. And as those who have received mercy, we show mercy to others. Have you received mercy? Then let it flow to others. Don't leave it to other people. Be an agent of the justice of God. This God who is just and true we reflect our glorious god and our wonderful savior when we do these things so our god is just and true the bible is full of justice and righteousness originating from god himself jesus brings justice to victory on the cross and makes righteousness available the kingdom of god is established and upheld with justice and righteousness And his people, you and me, who believe in Jesus, we should love seeing God restore and transform others. Please avoid indifference. It's easy to see things, isn't it, on television and disagree with how it's reflected or complain. Pam and I, as we watch television, we get more and more kind of annoyed and irritated by how things are kind of shared and whatever but we've got to make sure even though we don't lose some discretion in what we see and what we receive we must maintain hearts that are soft and gentle towards the needy and the oppressed and the stranger there's more to doing justice than volunteering for a social action ministry or a charity even though that's brilliant there's more to doing justice than signing the occasional petition. There's more to doing justice than buying fair trade coffee or by joining a political party. Let's avoid indifference. Don't leave it to the few enthusiasts. It's for all of us who love a gracious God and want to see his kingdom come with justice and righteousness. I want to speak to people who have a prophetic ministry. Right the way through the Old Testament, they prophesy about the people of God being away from God, but they also continually prophesy about the needs of others around, and they speak against injustice And even in the New Testament with with Agabus, even his word is is about famine that's coming and we must provide for people who are going to suffer. Or even about Paul possibly being ended up in prison. There is something about justice and fairness and care for others, even in their prophetic ministry. In the Old Testament, the poets and the psalmists, they use their gifts to cry out for justice to this great God. When God does justice, it brings liberation. Brothers and sisters, let's join with Him in doing justice in His way. In Isaiah, it says, This is the sort of religion I want. Not fasting, where actually your own life is in a mess. This is what I want to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free, to share your food with the hungry to give the wanderer some shelter, to clothe the naked, and to care for your own family as well. And it says this, when you do that, your light will break out and healing will come. What a great promise. I want to live a healthy life, don't you? And one part of doing that is making sure I keep an eye on those who are in need and serve them. Let's stand together. I want to pray. Father, I want to thank you for those who serve in different ministries and mission in seeking to help the poor, the needy people who serve in this church, in different ministries, maybe beyond. But I pray, Lord, Beyond giving them strength to continue their work with great joy, I ask, Lord, you'll recruit us all to your mission of justice. Lord, keep us from opting out. Keep us, Lord, from leaving it to the institutions or the charities or the law courts to sort it out. Help us to do what is right, appropriately, Lord, help us to take action where we need. Soften our hearts, Lord Jesus. You looked out on the crowd and you had compassion on them. Give us your heart of compassion. And I pray for any here, Lord, who may feel that they've been a victim of injustice. I pray, Lord, you would heal and restore them. Let them trust you. You're the God who puts all things right. And you can cleanse and restore their hearts and their hopes right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen.